The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to Jesus and his disciples left from there and began a journey through Galilee. But he did not wish anyone to know about it. He was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be handed over to men, and they will kill him. And three days after his death, the Son of Man will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to question him. They came to Capernaum, and once inside the house, he began to ask them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they remained silent. They had been discussing among themselves on the way who was the greatest. Then he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone wishes to be first, he shall be the last of all and the servant of all. Taking the child, he placed it in their midst and putting his arms around it, he said to them, whoever receives one child such as this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me but the one who sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, everybody. God is good. Oh man, that air, you smell that air? So beautiful, such a beautiful morning. But if we dive into these awesome readings today, I'm excited to preach about these readings. It's a continuation of the last couple weeks, so it's going to be an amazing, amazing ride, I think. But also, I got to recognize that today we're celebrating two birthdays in our parish. Of course, Mia Filippini and Chrissy Renteria. Mia is 53 and Chrissy is 15, I think, right? Or is it the other way around? Uh, I, I don't know. But happy birthday, Mia, Chrissy. Praise the Lord. Think about it. God created you. Poof. You exist forever and ever. But let's not let birthday cake distract us. Let's get into these readings. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So you will be happy to know the first batch of our Fire relief checks have gone out. And I brought a sample of the letter that I wrote on behalf of the parish's name. Since I wrote this on your name, I thought I got to read it to you so you know what the parish is doing. And so amazingly, we're going to help. We've been able to help. We are going to help 14 families. And each of these families will receive a $2,000 check. And this is what the letter will say on behalf of us. Dear, and then the family's name. 
Please accept this gift on behalf of the parishioners of Holy Family Parish in Portola and Holy Rosary Catholic Mission in Loyalton. We cannot begin to imagine the hardships you have endured in these devastating fires. Our hearts were moved when we saw the destruction firsthand, especially since this disaster was not on some distant shore or foreign country. Rather, it was our very own friends, our neighbors, and our family who were suffering. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ immediately shine forth. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. Matthew 25, verse 40. It is our humble hope that with this offering, it will help in a little way to begin this next stage in your life. Be assured of our continued prayers as we move forward in the rebuilding efforts of our beloved counties. Through his sacred heart, we remain sincerely yours in Christ. And then I sign it to them. They receive their checks. Oh, you should have seen the faces of the people in the hall, by the way, because they were the first recipients. Because they've already been vetted. There's a confirmation that all their homes have been burned down. we got about four people remaining now in the hall, living there for about a month now. And it's taking forever is because, as you know, working with FEMA and the government, trying to find funds and housing for them, it's taking the longest. Government, right? So it takes forever. And so you should have seen their faces. I just walked up to them and handed them their check, and I just walked away. And then how it always was, they they. they Open up the envelope, they pull out the, the letter. They don't read the letter first, of course, because the check just falls out. And they see their name, they see the amount, they look up, and they're trying to process it in their heads. You can see the problem. Like, Why are we getting money from you for? One of the men later on outside, he, he says, pulls me aside. His man name is Ray Casanova. Good name, Italian name. Lives in Greenville. Father, he says, I want you to tell your parishioner something for me. I, tears welling up in his eyes. He was speaking very slowly. Tell your parishioners from the bottom of my heart. And the tears started flowing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's enough to make a grown man cry. I heard that phrase, by the way, countless times from the group. What allowed us to, because I had no idea, it all depended on your generosity, how much, how many families were able to help. And what really kicked the amount high was that a parishioner a couple of days ago walked into the office and said, Father, I want to give to the fire relief fund. I said, oh, sure, absolutely. We're still taking money, of course. I thought to myself, oh, $50, $100, 300 a dollar, whatever we get from the Lord, praise God. This parishioner of ours who wants to remain unnamed wrote a $10,000 check. And that allowed us again to help 14 families, $2,000 checks each. And that's a drop in the bucket, of course. A drop in the bucket to what they've lost. But then I started to think about it. Again, here is the perfect embodiment of what our Lord commands us of us. To be wildly generous with our material blessings. Wildly generous. Because remember, as we've been speaking about the last couple of weeks, 
When original sin enters into the world and we no longer want God in our lives, what immediately replaces him is our attachment to material possessions. That's, that's, the, immediate, that's the next step. Again, a broken record time. We replace our relationship with God with the endless pursuit of money, power, honor, pleasure. And that is why God knows that about our hearts, that it wants to latch on to that. And so with Cain and Abel, from the very beginning with the Jewish people, he made it a requirement upon them to give 10% of their material blessings back to, the, to God. Because he knows our broken hearts will want to latch on to that and to pursue it. Because we all fall into the trap of thinking, the more I have, the more I am. You want to be great. You want to be something in life. It's always a person with the nicest job title, the most land, the biggest house, the nicest car, the most beautiful body. That's our standard. Somebody is great. You want to be great? Do that. And then once you achieve that, you can, you can bask in your glory and say, look how amazing I am. Look, look at all the stuff that I have. Not that any of those things are wrong. No, it's not bad. It's great. We should excel in excellence. We should excel the best we can, we can do. We should be healthy, absolutely. But these hearts of ours, things to be great, wants more. And this is where the Lord now, knowing this, the gospel begins. It said that Jesus and his disciples left from there. Where is there? Remember last week now, this is the continuation of the gospel from last Sunday. So remember, 85% of the public ministry of Jesus takes place around the Sea of Galilee. 85% of all that he ever did took place just in a small, just a small tiny area. But then, remember from last Sunday, it said that Jesus goes a 40-mile journey north to Caesarea Philippi takes his disciples there, and he goes to this pagan center of religious life. Remember, the pagan temple to Pan, and the gates of Hades was there. There's no Jews living there. But Jesus takes the disciples, and they go on a two-day journey to Caesarea Philippi. And he asks that pivotal question. Who do you say that I am? Remember that, that, that dialogue with the disciples from last Sunday? And then our boy, Peter. He gets the answer right. He comes through at that moment. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. From that moment now, we enter the gospel today. They left from there and they began their journey down back to Galilee. Again, it would have been a two-day journey. And all of us, you know, when you're on a hiking trip, you just talk about whatever, right? <laughs> Pass the time. And so they began to talk. Jesus takes this opportunity to again teach them within a few days he lays out, the son of man is to be handed over to men and they will kill him. And three days after his death, the son of man will rise. Remember, a couple days prior, Jesus just laid out what was about to happen to him. For the first time, remember Caesarea Philippi, he says, I must be rejected by the chief priests and the elders and they will kill me. They're going to kill me. But I will rise on the third day. First time they heard this. And then again, Jesus teaches this a second time, just a couple days later. 
What is he trying to get at here? Jesus knows our hearts wants to attach to money, power, honor, pleasure. He knows that about us. And so he's trying to attack that head on. There was a phrase here, came up twice in one line. The Son of Man. The Son of Man will rise. Remember, to penetrate the depths of sacred scripture, we must analyze it from the perspective of a first century Jew. Because for us, we hear the Son of Man, it has, it has no meaning. But for the first century Jew, when they hear this phrase, they immediately think, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Daniel, the book of Daniel, was written two centuries prior to Jesus. And I want to quote this because this would have been the background of the disciples when they heard Jesus say that the Son of Man will endure all of this. So this is Daniel chapter 7. It reads, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So now, two centuries later, the time of Jesus, what the Jewish people were waiting for They're waiting for this son of man figure prophesied in the book of Daniel two centuries before. When this figure would come, it would be a heavenly figure who would come now and destroy their enemies. First century Jew, who is our enemy? The mighty Roman Empire. That's our enemy. And so for the Jewish people, they're waiting for this son of man figure who would come down, destroy, wipe out the Roman Empire, and rebuild the Jewish kingdom. So they're waiting for this figure. And so now all of a sudden Jesus speaks. I am the son of man. So they think. The hour has come. The kingdom has arrived. But they fall into the same temptation that we all do. When you and I think of kingdom, what do we think of immediately? Think of the king of England. What do we think of them? Ah, castles, mighty armies, wealth, jewels, crowns. I mean, you name it, an unimaginable bout of wealth. Same thing for the first century Jew. You think of kingdom, you think of the son of man figure. Ah, power, wealth, honor, all of those amazing things. But Jesus, oh no. You want to know what true greatness is. And immediately, that's why the next question in the gospel comes. He says, what were you arguing about? And these disciples, you know what they're arguing about? They argue about what we argue about. Who's the greatest among us? Who's the most beautiful? Who's the most wealthy? Who has the better job? Who has the nicest house? Who's the greatest? And Jesus, at that moment, takes this little child. He says, all right, you want to be great? I'm not t- talking about the greatness that the world says is great. He says, no, nah, all that, it's nothing. 
And he pulls up a little child. Remember, in the first century, children were not on the pedestal as we have them today. For us, we love our children, absolutely. We adore them, we cherish them. For the, for the first century Jew, children are utterly pitiful. They are helpless. They can't do anything for themselves. You gotta feed them, you gotta clothe them. They can't even do anything. They just run around, be irritating, and cry, right? That's children. So children, what our Lord is saying, you want to be great? You want to be amazing? You want to be big? You got to be humble like a child. Otherwise, if we do not pursue this line of what our Lord has laid out, James, now in that second reading, speaks to us directly. Oh, when you heard the second reading, did you not see ourselves? I don't know about you, but I saw myself in here. James writes, he asks, where do wars and conflicts among you come from? In other words, why do you fight? Why do we fight amongst ourselves, by the way? Why do we fight and have wars? James lays it out. He says, is it not from your passions that you make war within your members? You covet, but you do not possess. You kill and envy, but you cannot obtain. You fight and you wage war. Do you see what he's doing here? He's speaking of, the, of, that, of that human being. When we give into the temptation to believe that our greatness depends upon our money, wealth, honor, and pleasure, that because now, because our lives are based on that, we will see other people who have possessed more, and it will, we will rage in jealousy. Do you remember the Ten Commandments? What does our Lord say? He says, do not covet your neighbor's wife. Oh, we bad at that. Have you ever seen somebody? It's like, wow, I wish I was married to that person. <laughs> we all do that. Have you ever seen somebody's possessions? Have you ever driven by some? There's a house here in town that I always drive by. I'm like, man, I wish I lived in that house. <laughs> do not covet your neighbor's goods, the next commandment follows. Because he understands if our hearts are, are, are attached to those things, it's going to, only going to create wars and envy and disordered passions. You do not receive, James says, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. The disciples were utterly silent, convicted that they were bickering among themselves about who was the greatest. <clears throat> After Capernaum, and I'll end here on this final note, from Capernaum, they will walk down to Jerusalem. Jesus will enter to that city triumphantly, Palm Sunday, the palms. And Jesus will show them what true greatness is. And we all know what happened in Jerusalem. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.